beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a joy to open the scripture to you and feed you with the word of God, even unto eternal life, which is the, the point of God's word, is that we should see Christ feed upon him, rest in him, rejoice in him forever. Indeed, boast in him. Uh, boasting comes up in our passage this morning. In verse 17, Paul says, In Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work in God. So that reason to be proud is another translation of the word boast. Or sometimes uh, another translation is glory in. Glory in something. Well, boasting doesn't seem like it's a Christian activity. It seems like Christians ought to be doing things other than boasting. Other than being proud of something or, or glorying in something. But of course... Only as soon as you say that, what do you glory in, Christian? What means the most to you? What do you boast in? And if you boast in God, He is for you. Christ is for you, who can be against you. That's your boast. Then you are boasting as a Christian. You're, you're glorying as a Christian. You're being proud, as a Christian ought to be proud, of His God and His Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in himself or in his own work, not in myself or what I do, but in God and what he's done. None of what he's done in Christ Jesus, historically, just what's, what's going on, but what he's done in me. And what he's done through me and other people as well. And just the same for you. I think we're right to boast, to be proud, to glory in those things which Christ Jesus does in and through us. But we would be entirely remiss and unchristian to boast about ourselves and what we've done. For that's sheer pride. And pride comes before the fall. But there is no fall for God Almighty. We can be proud of Him. We can boast in Him. So let's think about what Paul boasts about here, what he's proud of, what what he's glorying in. And really two simple steps. What Christ had done, that is, before he wrote this letter, Paul's talking about what had gone on, but also what Christ was going to do yet. What Christ was going to do through Paul still, after he wrote this letter. So first, what Christ had done. As we read our passage, we recognize, and this is really the central theme of the end of this letter, and of course we're at the end of the letter, we're, back, we're past the body of the letter, and what the style is called the epilogue, here at the end, this, this kind of... Uh, issue of his ministry, and then finally some greetings and things, and, uh, and we'll get to next chapter. And these are all very valuable. They are the Word of God, though sometimes maybe it's a little more difficult to read these parts, the epilogue and so on. It's not as meaty or maybe straightforward as the doctrinal teaching parts or the straight application where we can kind of see the Word of God coming into our lives and shaping us. And, but these ones are maybe a little more difficult, and Paul sets himself forward as an example here. It's a little bit like what he does in Second Corinthians is a book that is largely, or at least a good deal, autobiographical. Paul telling us about himself, about his struggles, about his trials, about his ministry. And we get a little bit of that as we come in here. Paul was a minister to the Gentiles. God had sent him for that. And so I'll read this little passage that we looked over last week. And I want you to think of, just try to remember, the kind of priestly realities that Paul's dealing in as he ministers Christ. Because, of course, Christ is the great priest, given himself up, right? shed his own blood, broken his own body. That's the priestly sacrifice for life, for others. But he himself, of course, was no sinner. Therefore, it was for others. But then Paul takes that and he pours himself out as a priest to the, to the Gentiles, to the nations, that they should know Christ and the gospel. 
And then he turns around with those nations and offers them back to God as an offering, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's mission. That's what he's after. And we can read that here as we work through the text that we just read. Starting at verse 18 or 19 here. Sorry, I can't read the little numbers. Verse 15. But on some points I have written you more boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus. And again, that minister has this priestly public aspect to it. To the Gentiles in the priestly service of of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Well, this is Paul's desire. This is what he wants. He's a Jew. He loves the Jews. He loves Jerusalem. But his, his, his heart and his ministry is not with the Jews, but to take that Messiah of the Jews and make him known all around the world to all the Gentiles, all the nations. That they should in turn praise God. That they should in turn receive the Messiah and rest in Him and serve the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When before, of course, they were all lost in complete darkness, knowing nothing, groping around, right? In hopes they might find God, but of course, blind and dead men don't find God. They grow up hopelessly until God works in them, giving them eyes to see and hearts to perceive and such. It's Paul's desire to be a pioneer missionary. He wants to go where the name of Christ hasn't been named. We see that down there at the bottom of our section as well. He doesn't want to build another man's foundation. He wants to build the foundation. He wants to get in there with the gospel first and let people know about Christ Jesus and, and build that foundation, plant the church, to start the church, and then keep going. And let someone, come, someone else come in behind him and do the watering and feeding that needs to occur after the gospel has been preached, after the pioneer missionary has gone. And he says he does this, and this is the gospel he's preaching. He says, I preach it from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. Now, you can maybe go look around the back of your Bible and mess around on the maps and see if you can find Illyricum. You probably will not. It turns out that it's not, not a big place. But anyway, it's northwest of, of Greece, kind of northeast of the Italian peninsula. Uh, and so we have this range that you can see Paul operated in up to this point from Jerusalem, sweeping through Asia Minor and all that in, in Macedonia and Greece. And this, this whole, that John MacArthur says, about a 1,400-mile range uh, that he took on foot all these years to go preach Christ to those who hadn't heard, to plant churches where there were no churches. And, of course, that's exactly what he did. He planted churches. And if we look to the book of, book of Acts, we can read all about this, going preaching from city to city and instituting churches. Now, I want to mention there's a foundation at least on two levels here. Paul's doctrinal foundation, preaching Christ, preaching the, the Christ of Son of the Heavenly Father, the God-Man and one person forever, all that beautiful doctrine and fullness of the gospel of Christ... He preached that. That's one foundation, this doctrine that's being... But that rests down, Christians, into bodies, right? Into local churches that continue to preach that, that continue to teach that, that continue to break bread and pour out wine and wash with water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul has a foundational doctrine of Christ to teach and preach, but he also lays the foundation of the churches, He plants the churches that continue that ministry after he goes. And after he dies, those churches are still ministering. And for centuries, these churches are ministering. Propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul had taken to them. These are important realities. Not only the doctrinal foundation that Paul lays in preaching Christ and the fullness of Christ, but also the real, historic Christian ministries and churches 
that occur and continue because of the ministry of the Apostle Paul and others as well. So this is the ministry that he has. He's a pioneer missionary. He wants to preach Christ where Christ has not been preached. Let other people come and fill in when he's done. He's not saying he's better than them, by the way. He's just saying this is what God called me to do. God hasn't called me to hang around and be a teacher in the church for years and years. I've had this, I have this other work to do. And someone can come in behind me. And again, it's not like the other person coming in behind to teach is a problem or is doing the wrong thing. God calls certain men to plant and that's the water. Right? We all have different jobs to do. And I think that's one of the things I want to make sure I leave you with. God's given us all different situations, different personalities, different connections, and different jobs to do all under the gospel ministry. We all have our part to play. Paul had his part to play. I have mine, and you have yours. May we all be faithful where God has put us, and to the, to the job, to the task, to the work of the gospel that he has called each of us to. Now, Paul's work here, he, you know, we'll just look at the words that he uses. In verse 17, In Christ Jesus said, I have reason to be proud of my work in God, of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience. He's looking back at his ministry and saying, Christ has accomplished some things through me. He's done some work. I was there preaching. I was there doing the thing. But it's Christ who is the one who has done the work through me. We see that also. Just as a side note. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, a great chapter that begins with this articulation of the the doctrines of the gospel. And then talks about the witnesses of the gospel and gets into resurrection. Witnesses of the resurrection as he gets into that topic. And Paul mentions that, uh, that he had worked harder than all the rest of the apostles. He had outworked them, yet it wasn't him working, it was the grace of God in him. Right? Now, that's, that's what we need to understand here. You look at the life of Paul, you see a very active missionary work and church discipling, all kinds of labors. He's active and active and active. But then when the work comes and it happens and the fruit comes, he says, it's all Christ. It was Christ that worked through me. And in fact, all the hard work I was doing, that was just the grace of God in me to do that hard work. And the grace of God threw me into your lives to bear fruit in your lives. He says, I'm not going to take credit for someone else's work, but I am going to glory in the work of Christ through me. And one of those, one aspect or dimension of the work here is, maybe it's kind of a little bifurcated vice here in verse 17 or verse 18. He says that he brought the Gentiles to obedience. He brought the gospel to the nations and brought them to obedience to Christ by word and deed. Christian by word and deed. It's not just the preaching of the gospel. It's not just the faithful articulation of Christ Jesus, of his death and burial and resurrection. It's certainly that. But Christian, it's also the life conformed to Christ Jesus. Word and deed match. Christians are called to be faithful Christians, which doesn't mean we're sinless. That's not a possibility for us. Christ Jesus was sinless, and the righteous gave up his life for the unrighteous. That we who are sinners should be counted righteous in Christ. He's the sinless one, not us. But we are called to be faithful. And when we find that we're not being faithful, God would be grant us repentance. We should turn. We should always look to turn from our sins and look to Christ Jesus for our forgiveness and for new life and strength to serve him and be faithful like Paul in word and deed. But he also mentions, not just by word and deed, that's part of the ministry. He had to preach. I followed him out there and herald the gospel and tell people about Jesus. He had to live a faithful Christian life to back that up and harmonize with it. 
But there was more than just that. That's the work of God right there. But there are these other attendant works of God that go along with that ministry. We see those again as we look a little further in the text. In verse 19, he says, By the power of signs and wonders. By the power of signs and wonders. Now, it doesn't take you very long reading through, say, the book of Acts and the ministry of Paul or Peter or whatever else, the the apostolic ministry, to realize there's some crazy stuff going on, huh? There, there, There are signs and wonders. God's doing amazing works that we tend to read, and especially if we're kind of hard-hearted and unbelieving, say, oh, that's just a bunch of fancy, right? They just fancy people came back from the dead and thinking about Peter's shadow coming across the, you know, amazing works of signs and wonders in, in, the, in this apostolic age. That again, we, we either say, well, we should have those signs and wonders now, right? We should be just like the apostles in that respect, or we kind of have this enlightenment view of saying, oh, well, it's not it anymore. We, we understand rational things, and we don't, we don't deal with the, oh, the silliness of the ancients and their superstitions. So there are different ways people, I think, struggle with this. But I think it will help us to see one thing, that there's a ministry given by God to his apostles, and there are signs of that. Okay? I'm not an apostle. You're not an apostle. There aren't any apostles. Okay? The apostles were around in that first generation, Right? And, when, and when they were going to put Matthias in, you know, figure out who's going to take the 12th spot, the re- requirement was you have to be around from Jesus' baptism all the way to his resurrection. Okay? You have to know the ministry of Jesus. Paul's like, well, I was born out of time because I didn't. Paul's an apostle who, who didn't even match that. He didn't know Jesus even that much, but he says he's born out of time. He's the weird one. All the other ones were around him through, for his ministry. So that kind of links the apostolic ministry right to that first generation around Jesus. But here are a couple more. Just listen if you can pull this together. From 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, we read this. The signs of a true apostle were being performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians, saying, hey, I was there and ministered among you, remember? Remember I was there? And there were signs and wonders and great works that God did to accompany the preaching of the gospel. And he calls those the signs of a true apostle. So a true apostle, he's also contrasting himself there with the super, he calls them super apostles, the false ones who think so much of themselves and so little of Paul. He says, but when I came and preached to you, I showed you the signs of a true apostle. Signs and wonders and amazing works that God was doing. Paul didn't do them, but that God was doing, attesting to Paul's message as an apostle. In Acts 15, at the great Jerusalem Council, where they're hammering out, trying to figure out what the, how the gospel relates to the Gentile nations and what's going on there. Uh, after Peter gives a long sermon, or a long speech anyway, talking about his experience with Cornelius and this and that, and it says this about Paul and Barnabas. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. That's Acts fifteen twelve. Right? That's all their argument. Right? They're, they're in here debating, what about the Gentiles? What about the gospel of the Gentiles? And Barnabas and Paul stand up and say, God worked many mighty works through us, signs and wonders as we preached to the Gentiles and they came to believe. That's God's testimony. That's God's attesting to the message preached by the Apostle Paul with signs and wonders. Okay, that's part of the apostolic ministry. We also have the power of the Spirit of God. 
So we have word and deed, the power of signs and, and wonders, and also the power of the Spirit of God. And it could be the power of the Spirit of God in the sense of what happened when Paul preached. The people believed. They came to life. They, they heard the good news and they believed it. It could be that, the power of God at work in the people. It could be the power of God at work in the Christian church beyond. Spiritual gifts and things like this that Paul might have in, in view. I'm not sure what he has in mind there, but he's saying these are all powerful realities of the gospel ministry, the apostolic ministry of taking the gospel, particularly out to the nations. Now, remember, the other apostles were stationed in Jerusalem. They were apostles largely to the Jews, to Israel. The apostle Paul was the 13th, as it were, born out of due time for not just the 12 tribes of Israel, but that 13th reality of all of the nations, the rest of the world. And that's Paul's ministry, and that's right in the center of what he's doing. That's what he's after in word and deed, in, in the power of signs and wonders from God, and the power of the, the Spirit of God as well. We have an apostolic foundation being laid then, both in doctrine and in practice for the church as it goes forward. Here, Flip over to Ephesians Chapter 2. Keep your finger in Romans there. We'll be right back. Start reading verse 17. But think of that same, the same foundational reality we're talking about. This apostolic ministry that's laying the foundation of a church that's going to be built. But of course the apostolic ministry is the beginning of it. Not the entire thing. But we'll start reading verse 17. You'll see what I'm talking about. And how the, the Gentiles fit into this as well. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, Jews, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place, for God, by his spirit. Which is to say, if you understood the typology of the temple of the old covenant, what it was, its stones, and what its place was, then you understand what the Christian church is. A place where God makes his abode, where the God of heaven and earth is to be found, where he pours out his spirit and gives his gifts, and we raise up our praises as incense and glory to God in the church. And all that, of course, is built on a foundation. That whole temple and apparatus is built on the foundation. That foundation is the work of the apostles and the prophets, which is this new covenant gift that God's given. And Paul's exercising that gift as he goes and preaches. But he's also not just preaching the doctrine, preaching Christ, he's doing that, but setting up churches. Building faithful churches that will continue in the work of the propagation of the gospel. And of course, Jesus Christ is the chief Cornerstone. It's all around Jesus Christ, who himself called his apostles and gifted them by his spirit. All this was accomplished by Christ. Paul looks back at his ministry all the way from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, as the apostolic ministry goes. And he says, I've done a lot of work. God has blessed this work and worked in others through me. And I'm going to rejoice in that. I'm going to boast in that because God has done the work. Christ has labored and borne fruit in me and through me among the people to whom I have ministered. That's what Christ had done for Paul, but what might he yet do? Paul boasts in that as well. It's not just what Christ had done, this wonderful mission. And this is the beginning of the mission of the Christian church. It goes on after generation, after generation, after generation, after generation, from this foundation that Paul had built, which is to say what Christ had built through 
the Apostle Paul, and he was proud of that. He was proud of that work. But what yet might Christ do? What's next? What's next for Paul? Well, we get a hint to here, and we'll, we won't spend much time going through, because we'll, in, in coming weeks we'll talk a little more about it. But he wants to go off to preach the gospel where it hasn't been preached. And he has in mind Spain. He says, hey, I'd like to be able to stop by you guys over there in Rome and spend a little while and rub some spiritual shores and encourage you and be encouraged by you, then go to Spain. I want to preach the gospel there where, the, where Jesus Christ has not been proclaimed. He wants to pioneer the gospel work some more. He's not done. He won't be done until he, Christian, is poured out like a drink offering, like he says himself and like he alluded to just before. He's in the priestly service of Christ and his gospel. He will pour himself out. The Christians let us follow him in that and be excited, even as he is excited, even if our work isn't the same as his. Even if you're not an apostle, a pioneer missionary going out to preach Christ where he's ever been preached, not building on anyone else's foundation. It's probably not you. Maybe it is. And let me just take a moment while we're on that topic. I pray that God would raise up many of you to do just that. To take the word of Christ to somewhere it's never been. To publish salvation and good news that has good news for you who are in darkness. Here's the light of the Lord. What a glorious ministry. May God raise up our children and our children's children to go proclaim the gospel like Paul in uncharted areas. But there are also other ministries. I have a different ministry than that. My ministry here isn't proclaiming the gospel among the heathen who've never heard of Christ. My job here is to proclaim the gospel among Christians who have. Right? We, have a, we have a range of different problems. Some overlap. Do a little Venn diagram and say, oh, there's some, some issues with that pioneering missionary work that goes on that still go on in, in the established church. But it's my job to, begin, to take that work that Christ has begun and be a minister to, that he would finish the work in you. Complete you solid and, and entirely in Christ Jesus. So anyway, what's next? What's next for Paul? We'll, we'll do more work on him. But what's next for you? Christian, what's next for you? You can look at the same sort of thing and say, okay, well, you know, Paul has this ministry way back in the day, and he, he preached Christ, and he, he set up churches, and then he died. God took him off the scene. And those churches still continued to function. The gospel still continued to be preached generation after generation after generation after generation for centuries until you were born. This whole Christian work has been going on generation by generation before you were ever on the scene or before I was ever on the scene. Even the oldest of us, of course. It makes no difference. It's like a drop in a bucket compared to all these years that have gone by. But at some point in your life, Christian, if you believe, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you rest in Him for your salvation, if you know He is your righteousness, not you yourself, He is your life, not you yourself, that means at some point, some ministry has told you, has announced to you, has proclaimed to you the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you should believe it, that you should understand it and grow in it. In other words, this ministry that Paul set up in the other apostles, through Christ Jesus, through his work, that ministry worked its way by God's providence down the long generations until you got here. And you've been called in Christ Jesus. You've been called out of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God's dear Son, and you can say, God's done some stuff for me in the past. Not only has he worked in me, but I can see these worked through me. He's, he's blessed my family. He's blessed some neighbors. He's blessed all, you know, you can think of your own life and the way God's blessed people through you, particularly with the gospel. 
And you can say, this is what God has done. He's called me out of darkness. He's made, he made me a light even to my friends and neighbors. But here's my question to you, Christian. Rejoice in all that. But what's next? Where is God taking you? What works do you have to give as offering, like we said last week, to God? What are things that you need to turn around and offer to God as worship in this life that he has given you? So another way of asking, what's next for you? As mentioned before, we're all at different spots in life. From each other, right? We're different ages and various demographics and different interests and different relationships and so on. All that's the truth. But even more than that, we're all gifted differently too. Not just by nature, say God's natural gifts, which are still God's gifts, but even the spiritual gifts we get, where we come into Christ and God starts giving us gifts to feed and build the body. All those are different in each of us. And we need to discern what it is God has for you to do. And the answer is not nothing. God has got something for each of us to be doing with the gifts and the skills and the powers that he has given us in this great calling into which he's brought us. He's made us know him, the true and living God. He's shown us Jesus Christ, the one who gave himself up to death for us because he loved us. And whom God raised from the dead on the third day, victorious. And is seated at God's right hand and says, now I'm building my kingdom. What part do you have in it? Because you certainly have something. In fact, you probably have many things. In fact, you probably have many things a day to contribute and to, 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 to do, to work for God. Even as Paul says, I want to pour myself out in order to take the Gentiles and offer them to God. Christian, we must pour ourselves out day by day and offer to God whatever we have to offer as our worship and our offering to Him. And it's different from each of us. We are all Christians, therefore we all have kingdom work to do. We're all Christians, supposing that we are. You trust in the Lord Jesus and are baptized into Him, then you've got work to do. God's calling you to get busy. What's next? What, what, what might Christ do next in you? What about that grandchild or child or nephew that you've been praying for all these years, whose heart is hard, who's recalcitrant, who won't come to Christ, who has anything else that's more interesting than, than going to church and worshiping the Lord? What if Christ were to use you to bring that one to faith by your very prayers? Or maybe by your very words in ministry? Or maybe by his neighbor or friend? We all have these parts to play. And we have people on our hearts. We have relationships that we need to be thinking about and praying about. Say, God, why do I have this? And if you have a relationship with a Christian, I think it's obvious enough to build them up in Christ. But if you have these relationships, which I hope you do, with unbelievers, then it's like, well, it's to introduce them to Christ one way or another. And the longer and more consistent those relationships, the trickier I think it is in our, our testimony, our words. But Paul said word and deed. He, he went forth in word and deed, so Christian, we must as well. And with the power, with the power of signs and wonders, I say the greatest wonder and the greatest sign we can, we can see right now is someone who is dead in sin, whom God makes alive together with Christ. It says, no more death for you. Now you're alive. Now you're alive in Christ. Now you love Jesus. And now your whole life is entirely different. That's a sign and a wonder right there, though I understand it's a little bit of equivocation with what Paul had to say as far as the 
the powerful witness in the signs and wonders, but we're not looking for those particular signs and wonders right now. Maybe if we're way out in the mission field, the cutting edge of ministry, where Christ had not been named, I'd be looking for things like that. Maybe. But right now, right here, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for changed lives, starting with my own, but not ending there. Aren't you my offering to God? If I'm a priest here, which I certainly am, and so are you, then you are my offering to God. It's your changed lives. It's your faithfulness by God's grace. It's the fruit you bear that is my offering to God. Paul has the nations for his offering. That's what, that's what his target is. That's what he is after. I don't really have the nations. We, we do as a congregation. We have offerings that go to missionaries and PMU is wonderful. And there's lots of ways to minister there. But we come together, Christian, week by week, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, that we can appear before the face of God and never walk out the same. Never having met the true and living God and walked out and had no change. But that week by week you come and see Jesus Christ, as Paul says in Galatians, publicly portrayed as crucified before your eyes in the preaching of the gospel. And that you would be conformed to the image of Christ. And give yourself with joy and energy to the tasks, to the work that he has for you. We know that victory over sin is one of the wills, one of the things God wills for in our lives. We get that from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, what is the will of God? Your sanctification. That you would grow in Christ's likeness. Let that be our goal, Christian. That we should come together to receive that encouragement to grow in Christ's likeness, but also to give that encouragement one to another as we come together week to week, week by week, to worship the Lord, appear before His face, see Jesus Christ as publicly portrayed as crucified for our sins, raised from the dead, that we should love Him and serve Him by loving and serving one another. So what might Christ do yet? Just that question. Maybe it should be enough to get your juices flowing. What could He do? There's nothing He could not do. So what's the limiting factor? Maybe our asking. Maybe our efforts. Certainly not in God. God is not the living factor that we understand all things occur according to his will. Yet he wills to let us be foolish with his gifts sometimes. And not dig up as by a spade or a shovel with prayer the various gifts and glories that God has for us. Both in our, our lives as, as Christians, loving people around us and serving. But also in the very word of God. As we struggle week day by day to read the scriptures that God would... By His Spirit, give us the grace to be fed, fed with Christ as we worship Him and have devotions ourselves day by day. So, as Christians, we need to learn to boast. Like the Apostle Paul, we need to learn to boast, but not boast after the flesh. Not be all proud of ourselves because of what we've, what we've done, and here I hung it on the fridge. There's some place that I think among, you know, but it's, it's, it's not, we don't want to foster pride. We want to foster humility in ourselves. An enormous pride in the Lord Jesus Christ. What he is, what he's done, and what he's doing through us, and what he'll continue to do through us. It's not just what he has done. It's what he will do as well. So we hope in Christ. And Christian, let us therefore commit ourselves. Let us therefore commit ourselves to being faithful to him. Step by step, day by day. And let's see not only what Christ has done in us, we've been glorying that, but let's see what Christ will yet do in us and through us. Amen.